Welcome to Tough Cookie Talks. I'm your host, Jenna Josephowski, but you can call me Jenna J. I'm a semi-retired professional dancer, dance teacher and yoga teacher, turned certified personal trainer and kettlebell instructor who helps active women learn to lift and get strong with equal parts challenge and compassion. After years of working in the fitness industry, I got sick and tired of watching people, including myself, run themselves into the ground trying to uphold the narrow-minded image of what our culture sees as healthy and fit. But instead of giving it all up, I decided that I'd rather change the game, call out the BS, extract the good, and help others learn to use movement as a way to build themselves up rather than tear themselves down. On this podcast, we'll explore the intersection of fitness and anti-diet culture and all the gray areas in between. We'll let go of shoulds and judgment and dig into tough conversations with curiosity. Things get pretty spicy around here. So grab your headphones and let's do this. Hey friends, welcome to Tough Cookie Talks. I am super excited for today's podcast episode because I'm actually bringing on one of my good friends and letting you into the world of our many conversations that we have about a lot of things. So today we're talking to my friend, Dr. Paula Friedman, and she is a licensed clinical psychologist, a certified intuitive eating counselor, and a writer in Chicago, Illinois. In her private practice, Humankind Psychological Services, she provides treatment for individuals who struggle with anxiety, perfectionism, and eating disorders. She enjoys helping people connect to their inner wisdom and live authentic, meaningful lives. She's the author of the Addiction Recovery Workbook and regularly writes about all things anti-diet culture for psychology today. She trains and mentors psychology graduate students and provides online trainings for mental health clinicians. Dr. Paula loves a good metaphor, a witty comeback, and being in nature. And as I read her bio, I feel like that really only skims the surface of the kind of person she is and what a great friend she has to have, I guess, in my world, in my circle, because we regularly talk about a lot of things related to mental health and the way that she practices in therapy and the tools that she uses to help her clients thrive. And I think that this is so important uh, because she does a lot of things that are outside of my scope of practice. And it's really important for me to stay inside of my scope of practice and the reason I'm so excited to have her on here today is because she is talking about all sorts of things related to our mindset and mental and emotional flexibility. And I love this because sometimes these are things that I want to say that I feel like I know innately as a coach and maybe just through being her friend, but I'm like, oh, I really can't talk about that. They need to talk about it with their therapist. So uh, disclaimer before we get into this episode, this is not meant to be a substitute for medical or mental health advice, but I know that you're going to find it really helpful and enjoyable. So let's get into the conversation with my good friend, Dr. Paula. Hey, Paula, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jenna. I'm so excited to be here. I'm super excited to have you. Before we get into our conversation today, can you tell us all about you, who you are, what you do, how you came to be doing the work you're doing, all of that kind of stuff? Sure. Okay. I will try to summarize. Hmm. Um, So I am a licensed clinical psychologist and a certified intuitive eating counselor. And I work with individuals who struggle with eating disorders, disordered eating, Um, and anxiety-related disorders. A lot of the people I work with are high achievers, highly perfectionistic, um, have what I like to think of as like a very strong need for control. Um, And I enjoy helping people like build flexibility in the way that they relate to their inner world and their outer world. Um, I also supervise graduate students. So I really enjoy helping like therapists in training kind of hone their clinical identities and find their voice. And basically it's kind of a a win-win for us because I, I, I love to mentor them, but I learned so much from them because they're coming in so fresh and excited to get into the field that I feel like it kind of is like a nice buffer against burnout for me because I'm like, Oh, look how great it is what we do. So yes, that's kind of me in a nutshell. 
Because everything that you're describing, number one, I think that uh, very much describes a lot of the people that I also work with as a personal trainer and um, maybe a little bit of myself to um, try as I may in my own therapy. And I'm sure that that can't be easy for somebody like you now, just dealing with the massive amounts of people that need therapy and need the sorts of guidance that you provide, because I think it's really, really needed. Um, Can we talk a little bit more about what you mean when you say um, like flexibility? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, within like so, your thoughts and your inner world. Yeah, definitely. I, I recognize that sort of borders on jargony, <laughs> you know, stuff. Um, so I integrate a bunch of different theories into my work, but one of the theories that I, I would say is like at the core of how I like to approach therapy is called ACT or acceptance and commitment therapy. And okay. that is a theory that if you've heard of like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. So CBT came about and people really loved it and it was great. And it was all about how to like challenge your thoughts and change your thoughts and all of that. And then as people started practicing it, they realized there's maybe some like holes in the way that that works. So Mm -hmm. ACT came along and ACT is a theory that is all about how do we build psychological flexibility? And what I mean by that is a lot of our suffering is sort of like self-inflicted in that we fixate on the things that bother us, right? So we get really trapped in, I don't like feeling this way. And I'm now I'm focusing on this thing that I really don't like. So we try to control these inner experiences and they keep us more stuck. So it's like, it's the pain is an inevitable part of life. I realize I may be going on a bunch of different directions. Pain is an inevitable part of being alive, right? All humans are going to have pain. Even if you have a really great life and all these opportunities, eventually something bad is going to happen to you. Someone you love will pass away or you'll get an injury or something will happen that will be painful to you. And there's no way you could ever avoid that. But suffering is sort of your response to the pain. And that's the part that we have control over. That's the part that we can change. So that's, we become in psychologically inflexible when we get so stuck on, I have to make sure I never feel pain or, oh my gosh, I have all of this pain. This is so terrible. And we build flexibility by changing our response to the pain. So, yes. And this is okay. really, this is really mind blowing to me. I'm not sure if you're very familiar with the Enneagram at all, but it's something that I'm really into. Um, and not to go off on too much of a tangent here, but I'm an Enneagram seven. Um, mm-hmm. and what that basically means is a part, a big part of my like core like personality as a human. And like my biggest fear and motivation is like being stuck in pain Mm -hmm. or something that I perceive to be like a negative emotion. And so I spend a lot of my time trying to avoid things that I perceive Mm -hmm. to be painful or negative. And I am curious now to hear how that might be keeping me and people like me, uh, maybe stuck. So how exactly do we change our relationship with our thoughts and our feelings and experiences? It's a big question. Um, (laughs) so what you're describing about how, how you tend to try to avoid situations that cause you pain, Mm -hmm. that's, that's human nature to an extent, like no Mm. one enjoys pain. Right. Right. So so we're all going to try to avoid things that are unpleasant to us. And we're all going to try to create or cling to things that are pleasant to us. Mm -hmm. And in the outside world, for a lot of situations, that's pretty effective. The way we solve problems in the outside world, like an example I like to use is broccoli. Let's say broccoli is a problem to you. You don't Mm -hmm. like the way it tastes. You don't, you just, you don't like broccoli. Okay. Okay. What do you do about it? Well, you don't order it when you see it on the menu. You don't buy it at the grocery store. If somehow it ends up on your plate, despite all of your efforts, you don't physically put it in your mouth and you're fine. You've avoided, you've solved the problem of broccoli, right? Right. Great. You can go through life like that. When it's an inner world thing, a thought, a feeling, a memory, a physiological sensation, you can't, approach it the same way you approach the broccoli. You can't Uh just like never, if if the thing I don't like is fear, I can't just not feel fear. I can't just like never, you know, like I can't, I can't do that. That's not possible, but I'm still going to try to. 
So maybe I figure out, okay, well, um, I feel fear when I'm speaking in front of people. So if Uh I just never speak in front of people, I'll never feel fear. That's fine. But that's one situation that now I've limited myself from ever doing in my entire life. And then that's not the only thing that makes me feel fear. I also feel fear when I'm uh, on a first date. Guess I'll just never date. Right. So your world gets smaller and smaller when you use that strategy. Mm. So, um, so that's, that's how we try to kind of like control what we feel inside in the same way that we try to control our environment and it backfires. It just makes it worse. Right. Because now I'm so afraid of feeling afraid that it's controlling me. So you want to know something? I think there's, there's a lot and we could go down a whole rabbit hole with this thinking about what happens. I think for a lot of people, when it comes to letting go of diet culture, and I know that that's Mm -hmm. something that you're very well-versed in. And I've seen this a lot when it comes to fitness related stuff where people have maybe had like a negative experience with things in the fitness world, or they're fearful that they'll encounter diet culture stuff at places like the gym or working with a personal trainer, or that they're going to experience that sort of like discomfort from realizing, oh, hey, like I haven't worked out in a while and now this feels really hard and that's uncomfortable to reckon with. And then people wind up avoiding exercise mm-hmm. altogether. And I think that's mistakenly even I think from a lot of therapists, um, a recommendation that they have when it comes to, um, letting go of diet culture and it comes to fitness. So I feel like there's, there's something in there to maybe dig into a little bit. What are your thoughts on that? I think so too. I think that there's it, first of all, like we just said at the heart of all of this is the fact that like pain is a natural part of being alive. So Mm -hmm. discomfort is not something that automatically you have to get rid of or avoid. And if you can learn how to tolerate it and kind of lean into it, then you have more options. And that's where that flexibility comes from. If, if to go back to the fear example, if fear, it's never going to be a fun feeling to experience, but if, if I can learn to allow it to be there when it's there, then I have options. Then I can do things even when they create fear in me. I'm not limited. I don't have to avoid it. If, if, you know, a certain like exercise or, you know, physical movement maybe is difficult. Like it's, it's not painful in the way of like, you know, I'm going to hurt my, I'm going to injure myself. Like you you shouldn't ignore that. Right. Like sometimes pain is a signal, but if it's, if it's like uncomfortable, but I can tolerate that discomfort, I don't, like just run away as soon as it's there, then that's how you, yeah, you know, like then that's how you build strength. So I do think there's a lot of parallels. Yeah. Parallels between, um, yeah, building psychological flexibility and building physical strength and flexibility, right? Because they both involve the willingness to tolerate discomfort. Yes. And um, not only tolerate that, but maybe like acclimate to it a little bit more so that it yes. eventually becomes not um, a bad thing. Yeah. Like Maybe. more, yes. more tolerable over time. Yeah. That's okay. So that's what I mean when I say changing your relationship to your experiences. So you can't get rid of fear, right? Because right. it's a natural part of being alive, but you can change how you relate to that fear. So instead of this is bad, this is terrible. I hate this. I wish this would go away. You can say, this isn't my favorite thing to feel. It's here. It's going to go away on its own because feelings always go away on their own. Okay. Like you can, you can change the meaning you make of it. And that's why like language, that's where language is really important too, with building flexibility, because you know how, like, you've probably heard people in the mindfulness world be like, be non-judgmental about your thoughts and feelings. Don't nothing is good or bad. They just are. That's because if you always call an experience bad, you're, creating this relationship with that experience that is like, I've just, I've decided that this is this way and there's no flexibility there. If you just say, okay, this is what this is. It's, it, it just, it's, you know, if every time my heart is racing, I say, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, I'm anxious. I've decided that that's always the case, but my heart racing could just, could be for so many, it, it could be 
my heart's racing because I just ran to catch the bus or because I had a lot of caffeine today. It might not be anxiety. And if I just quickly, if I label it the same way every time, I don't allow for other, I don't allow myself to like expand past it. Yes. Kind of abstract, but. No, it makes sense though. And I think a lot of times and what I see, I see two different things with a lot of my clients and I'm curious what you make of it. Um, Number one, assigning a meaning to how an exercise feels. So for Mm -hmm. example, I feel out of breath and sweaty when I'm doing this exercise. Therefore I am out of shape. I am lazy. Mm -hmm. I let myself go. Like there's all these things that kind of spiral into what that means about them. It shouldn't feel this hard. Um, Mm -hmm. and then another example that I hear a lot of times, um, is this language in the way that we speak about our bodies, for example, like I have a bad knee Mm -hmm. is something that I hear sometimes. What do you make of either of those things? Or what would you tell somebody who came to you with either of those? Yes. So in act, what you just described, those are examples of a process that's called attachment to the conceptualized self. Okay. That's just a fancy way of saying being stuck in this idea of who I am. I am this, I have a bad knee. I, and that basically is this mindset that I am this way. I've always been this way. I will always be this way. And that's it. And there is nothing that can ever happen beyond that. And Mm. what we would want to do is, is challenge that a little bit and try to move your mindset into what's called self as context, which I could spend a whole hour probably unpacking. It's a very, it's kind of a complex abstract uh, process, but expanding beyond that. It's like, I I see this happening a lot in our culture. If we want to kind of get into the larger, like cultural conversations, there's a lot of attachment to labels, right? Mm. And, And I think that that can create some psychological inflexibility. So I am a woman. I am a psychologist. I am fine. Those are true things about me. But if that's where my focus is, and I'm so stuck on all of this is, this is who I am. And that's it. There's no opportunity to ever be anything more than that. Like, yeah, Yeah. I'm a psychologist, but I'm more than just a psychologist. I'm a woman, but I'm more than just a woman. I'm, I'm Jewish, but that's not the only factor like that's not the only thing about me and if I put so much energy and focus on that aspect of me I have no opportunity to it it limits you it boxes you in right and it's like I get to decide how much importance that aspect of my identity holds in a given moment sometimes Mm -hmm. my being a woman like that part of my identity is more important than other times depending on the context. So self as context allows you to sort of recognize like there's a flexibility there to how much I attach to this. And same thing, I have a bad knee is very limited, right? Whereas like, this is the way my knee is right now at this moment in time. That's, Mm -hmm. That's the truth. That's more accurate. And that's more flexible because you're saying it may not always be this way, it may, I mean, you know, and that's, that's, that's different than the identity factors. Like I know I will always be a Jew and I will always feel like, I can't change those things. Right. Those things are true about myself. So I can't be like, will I always be, I will. And there are realities that come with those things. And also I'm more than those things. So it's like expanding your identity and expanding yes. the stories that you tell about yourself. We tell these stories about myself, about ourselves. Like this sounds like what you see with a lot of your clients. Mm-hmm. I'm just out of shape or I'm never going to be able to do this. Those are stories. And like, what if you could like be more present and just see what happens? Yeah. Yes. And I think like to your point about all of these labels, like even if we categorize um, or like identify ourselves with a certain label, or, you know, like a certain group, sometimes I think we associate all these other things that are supposed to come with that as like a package deal, mm-hmm. as opposed to allowing ourselves to like embrace what's actually true for us. Um, and I, yeah. I see this with, I mean, really a lot in the anti-diet world where, you know, 
like the most popular, and we've talked about this before in outside conversations where it's like the most popular person in the anti-diet space said that this is the thing. Mm -hmm. And so now like, this must be the thing, even if that's not necessarily what feels true or authentic for you. Um, and, and that's applicable in, in a lot of different ways. So what I'm curious about is like, how do you know if your mind is flexible or not so much? And how much of this is something that like you're born with and how much can you actually grow into it? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I think to understand psychological inflexibility, like the way that we get stuck, you have to kind of go back to like when you're born, which kind of is like with diet culture, right? Like you're not mm-hmm. born having any sort of like diet mentality or beliefs about your body or anything like that, right? You're born just kind of existing and then it gets imposed on you. You're not born really knowing anything. And then language kind of shapes your experience. Okay. So if you think of, think of like, if you hear someone speaking in a, a foreign language that you don't speak, yes, you don't have, it just sounds like noise to you. Yep. Right. Like you don't have any sort of like, there's no emotions that come There's no associations that you have with it. Mm-hmm. But if, if like, if I say something to you in a language, you understand, if I say like the word apple, let's say, yeah, you automatically have a picture in your head. You have, you, you know what it, uh, you have a color, you have a shape, you have like all these sensory memories attached to it. Like before you ever were introduced to an apple, you had nothing. So someone would say that word and it would just sound like I was saying like, blah, blah, blah. like mm-hmm. it would sound like it would give you nothing. Yeah. But then you form, you have experiences and those experiences become like ways that you relate to the word. Yeah. So I'm trying, I'm trying to like break this down because it's, it's a lot, but that then creates some inflexibility. Like when I say the word Apple, you, now you've got a whole script for it. Mm-hmm. So there's no opportunity to think like, huh, maybe it, it could be this. It could be that. Like there's no, there's, there's no more. It's like, it's a closed topic now, you know? Yeah. And, and so it basically, it gets like, it it gets, we create all these networks and that's great for a lot of reasons, right? It's helpful to know what an apple is. Yeah. Like in a lot of ways it's helpful. It's not so helpful when it's stuff like, you know, a thought that is telling me that, you know, I'm a terrible person and I'm never going to like be deserving of love. Yeah. You know, like that's one that I need to kind of disconnect from. And that comes through a process called diffusion. So like we get fused to our experiences. So I have a thought, but I'm not thinking about the fact that I'm thinking I'm just existing in life. And then that thought bothers me, but it feels so true that like, it feels like there's nothing I can do about it. You know, if I have this thought of like, I'm a loser and then it bothers me, then like, I'm just kind of stuck. But if I can say like, that's a thought, those are words, let me like disconnect from those words so that they don't pull for a strong of a reaction. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like making something more neutral. It's like how people have sort of like now, like if you can learn to see fat as a neutral descriptor, right? But but it, it wasn't always, but first it was before you knew what the word meant, then you learned all these associations with it. And Uh then you can start to unlearn those associations so that it's just a word like any other word. Yeah. Does that make sense? I feel it like that's maybe not the question, but it's like, to your point, I, I don't think there's something like you're, you're born with or not born with when it comes to that. I, I think some people maybe like go through the process of building that flexibility a little bit more easily because of maybe their personality or their temperament or their conditioning, right? Like maybe they were taught to be really flexible with how they think about things or really curious. Mm-hmm. So I think there is that stuff. Some people are more abstract thinkers that tends to be helpful with this stuff. Yeah. So like, how do you know if your mind is flexible or not so much? Like, is there a way that we yeah. can sort of catch ourselves in these moments where you're maybe like stuck in a thought that is giving you? I mean, I think if, if, if you're stuck, then you're probably suffering in some way. Maybe mm-hmm. it's anxiety, maybe it's depression, maybe it's like ruminating on something maybe you're, you're just like, you're not really present in your life. You're kind of like 
zoned out and like repeating conversations that you had this morning with someone and like reliving all these things. Like, oh, why are you in my head, Paula? <laughs> today? But I do it too. It's a, it's a human thing. So it's not yeah. about like, oh, I need to fix this about myself. It's, it's all we can do is just get better and better at going through these processes, recognizing when we're stuck, recognizing when we're like being rigid or being really fused to those things that, you know, that bother us or that seem like they're never going to change, or maybe that aren't ever going to change and like yeah. pull ourselves out of it. Okay. So you had posted something that I feel like is kind of related to this. It was one of your reels on Instagram okay. um, that I thought was great. And I, I shared it uh, a couple of days ago, actually, it was one where you were talking about um, motivation And like when you're not motivated to do something that you don't have to be necessarily motivated to like still do the thing anyway. And I feel like it was related to this somehow, some way. And I think that's something that comes up for a lot of my clients where they have the thoughts that's like, I'm not motivated to work out. And then they run with that thought. And it mm-hmm. almost prevents them doing for something, even though they know deep down, like they actually want to yes. work out. Um, yes. Can we talk through that scenario? Is that relatable Definitely. to this? Very much. It's funny. I'm like sitting here nodding <laughs> um, because that's, that's very much related to this. It's this idea that our behaviors have to be aligned with our mood in order for us to do them. Like that our thoughts and our feelings have to match our actions and they don't. And if you think about it, like there's so many times where you do things, even when you're not in the mood to, or even when your thoughts are, I don't want to, or this is not fun. Or we like, we, we are, our actions are under our conscious control. Whereas Uh the other stuff isn't, you don't control what thoughts pop into your head. You don't control what emotions come up in you, but you do control your own actions. So, um, so for motivation, I, that's helpful. Like what you're saying about clients who have that thought of like, I don't want to work out, but like you said, they know they do. Well, how do they know that they actually do? It's probably because of their values, right? Because it's important to me too, because maybe I value strength or maybe I I value like the stress relief that I get from it, or I value like whatever it might be travel. And I want to go be able to like go on this hike or whatever it might be. Yeah. Value that thing. So it's like, let your values can guide your actions rather than your thoughts and your feelings guiding your actions. Oh, and I love this because that's something that I really encourage my clients to do a lot is to tap into what their values are and Mm -hmm. allow that to guide. Um, like I hate using the word motivation because I feel like I honestly don't believe that. Um, but like use those things to kind of fuel their, um, their, their, yeah, their choices, their choice to work out. Um, Mm -hmm. rather than, Um, I think very much what happens when we're stuck in diet culture, um, or you're working out solely as a aesthetic pursuit that, that often motivation comes from a place of fear Mm -hmm. where you're like, if I don't do this, then, you know, I'm going to gain weight and this and this, and this is going to happen. And this is bad. And so Mm -hmm. in that way, I think the motivation feels, uh, very different. So I love what you're saying about, about the values. And I think I want to talk about that a little more. Yeah. It's so values are values work and connecting connection to your values is another process of act of building that flexibility because when you, so yeah. So that's why I was like, I knew we could probably find so much common ground (laughs) talking about this theory. You're using it and you didn't even know it. Um, Wow. Which is pretty cool. But that's exactly it. When we move toward our values, that makes life more meaningful. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's like thinking of things in terms of, am I moving towards this thing that is important to me, this value of mine, or is this action moving me away from it? If I value honesty and I start just lying through my teeth all day long, I'm probably going to feel pretty shitty about myself right? because I'm not living out my values. If I didn't value honesty, then it probably wouldn't bother me a lot all day. But so it's also about like your values are unique to you and they're not Mm culturally imposed or socially, like, I mean, to an extent, can we really all separate that out completely? Probably not. But if you can really hone in on what do I care about and what matters to me, Mm -hmm. like 
not to bring up, not to get into this too much, but um, you know, a lot of times current events that make people really like hopeless and upset will lead to this, like, I need to do this. And this is what everyone on social media is telling me to do, right? I need to advocate. I need to be an activist. Here's what I need to go to the protest. And that's cool if that aligns with your values, but for some people, that's not the most authentic way for them to respond, right? Yes. So it's like, if you're only doing things because an outside source is telling you to do them, you're probably not going to really feel aligned. You're not going to feel very like, like you're living the most authentic and meaningful life for you, even yes. if you're doing things that get approval from others. But if you're doing things because of that internal compass, that's pointing you towards them, then you're, you're going to still probably not get everyone's approval because not everybody has, everyone has different values. Right. But yes. you're going to feel like i I like how I am being. So it's about like, do I like how I am being? Do I feel like this is my truth? And it's not really up to anyone else. And, oh my God, I'm thinking of this being like, I always talk about things being like two different flavors of the same shit sandwich. Mm -hmm. Um, And what you're describing is two things. Number one, um, and we saw this in summer of 2020, where Mm -hmm. there's like a big major event about something. And all of a sudden, everybody is being, you know, super into like anti-racism, for example. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, because that like outside pressure, um, you know, kind of lessens than people's activism when it's not rooted in their deeper values also fizzles. And I think the same is true for fitness when you're looking for like, you know, creating sustainable habits and consistency over time there's really something in there to moving in a way that aligns with your values. If you want to not be on the wagon, off the wagon, because we do it with fitness and we do it with activism and we do it with everything. With everything. And you're so right. That's such an interesting connection to make. I feel like maybe what this is making me think of is maybe a good way to identify what your values are. It's like the things that you do, even if no one ever knows about them. Like yeah. even if no one ever found out that I, you know, whatever donated to this cause or did this thing, would I still do it? And it would still feel important and meaningful to me. Yes. Like even and if my body never changed from this physical activity, would I still do it? Yes. A hundred percent to both. A hundred percent to both. Like that's how you know that it's a value of yours. Yeah. And your values will never, st- I don't want to say they'll never steer you wrong, but if you, if you're making choices based in your values, like you're, you're good, you know, like then you're moving in your direction that, that like is the one yes. for you and, and no I one gets think, to tell you if it's right or wrong. I'm curious how, I think a lot of people haven't really thought too much about their values. Um, something that I do with my clients and I'm curious how you help people figure out what they actually value. Um, Mm -hmm. if they've never really given it a lot of thought before, which I think a lot of people really haven't because we're so guided by like shoulds and external Mm -hmm. pressure. Um, I literally, sorry to interrupt, but ah. I feel like just the labels too, like this kind of goes back to what we were saying. It's like, I am this, which means I care about these, this, 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 and this, and this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really limiting too. Yeah. I, I feel like I see that a lot with like, politics these days Mm -hmm. I'm liberal and that tells you everything you need to know about me and what I care about and it's like take a minute like not everyone who maybe identifies with this particular like side of of the political spectrum is these million different things like we're all unique and right you know and there are all these other like facets to our personality that maybe like couldn't even necessarily fit into like uh, you know, for example, like a political box or, right. you know, like an exercise box or what, whatever, yes. like it just wouldn't That's make sense. I hate the labels. Like I heard someone say, I, I don't even know where I was, where I was recently. Like, I don't remember the context. Mm-hmm. I heard someone go like, and he's an anti-vaxxer. So, you know, and it was like, that's all I needed to say. And everyone goes, Ooh, Ooh, Ooh. I am seeing they're like a bad, terrible, evil, like conspiracy theorist person who just like, you know, and Paula, I am so guilty of that. Like, yeah, I, I really we am. We do it because we look for shortcuts. I think we, it's, we it do. is a cognitive shortcut that we're trying to make. We're trying to just communicate quickly and easily everything you need to know 
to stay safe, right? Like from an evolutionary yep. perspective, but it really is like a flawed system because we can't do that for whole human beings, which is right. why I feel so privileged to be in this, in, in the field that I'm in, because I get the chance to go deeper than that. When yeah. someone says they have this belief, I get to be like, tell me about where you grew up and what your family was like and your trauma. And I get to know all of the other nuances to them. And it makes a lot more sense when you have the whole context. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That was totally off track. No, that's like okay. I to like cut in with that. Cause it seems this really- is, this is how our conversations go. And it, is, <laughs> it is okay and good. But when I help my clients back to the values thing, when I help my clients yeah. figure out what they value, um, I have a sheet um, that just has like a bunch of words on it. Like it is just okay. a sheet full of different words, like shout out to, uh, Jesse Haggerty. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Oh yeah. Um, she had a course, um, that I did a few years ago that was, um, coaching. Um, it was for coaching body image and nutrition for fitness professionals. Um, and what, that was one of the tools that she gave us was this values assessment. And it was just a list. And I give it to all my clients and encourage them to circle like a top five, or something mm-hmm. like that. So sometimes those words are a good place to start. Um, and it, it's usually pretty, I think, easy once you see them to like figure out what you're most drawn to or like, you know, what the common themes are in your life. But how do you help your clients identify their values? Mm-hmm. I do pretty similar exercise. Um, either I have, well, back when I used to meet with people in person, I had like a card sort where they could just physically go through like a deck of cards that had a bunch of values words on oh, them and awesome. put them in piles of like really important to me, sort of important to me, not important to me. Um, now, if I'm working with someone virtually, I'll do it your, the way you just described with like a list of things. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important to also encourage people to like go beyond the list. Maybe there's something that isn't on here that is important to you. Like these lists are not created by you, so they're not comprehensive. and sometimes also something you care about can't fully be encompassed by a word. So they might choose a few words and we'll be yes. like this cluster of words is this value, you know, that um, makes me think of, so. um, my client, Steph, who did an interview on the podcast, a couple of episodes I heard ago, it and I know her and she's awesome. Yes. And, um, she remember, I'll never forget the first time that she did the values assessment with me. She wrote in badassery. Oh, that was yeah. literally the, the title of our episode. Badassery is a core value. Um, exactly. Like, don't be afraid to write them in and just because it's not something like, you know, honesty, integrity, love. It's like, yeah, badder, badassery is for sure a value for yeah. a lot of people. And then that's where I think having somebody else to bounce ideas off of um, is good because then you can take something, for example, and you're like, honesty. Well, like how the hell do I tie honesty to like my motivation Mm -hmm. to work out or my motivation, this thing. And that's where like having someone like you or I to bounce ideas Mm -hmm. off of and figure out like, oh, okay. So like, this might be true and this might be true. And you might be able to think about it this way or that way. Yeah, I agree. I think that sometimes just having that collaborative approach and having the ability to figure out, like, it's hard to take something so abstract, like a value, like, you know, integrity or something and drill it down into what does that mean for how I like approach my life today or my workout today or whatever. Like, so it is hard to put that, like to quantify it, but you, you can. And again, that's up to the individual. Like, yeah, if I value integrity, well, what does that mean to me specifically? Mm -hmm. What's an example in my life today and how can I kind of like replicate that or strive to continue doing that or just check in with myself every so often and be like, am I acting with integrity or not so much? Yes. Yes. So like in, in that moment, I want to come back to the idea. So say I come to you and I'm like, Hey Paula, I'm just like, I really don't want to work out today. Like, like, yeah, I want to, but like, I really don't feel like it. Like, what would you, what would you tell me? Or like, what thoughts might I do to kind of create a little bit more flexibility around that thought? I think curiosity is, is helpful there. Like, all right, let's get curious about that. What's going on? Like, you know, and does it feel aligned with your, sometimes your values come into conflict with each other. That's another thing. Oh, that's hard too. So that's hard too. And that's a lot of times when you feel stuck where it's like, I value, you know, 
honesty and I also value whatever, like kindness and would it yeah. be kind to be honest to this person or something like that. So yeah, um, so that might be going on, but it's also like, I, I really just think staying open and curious because it's, it's not about like in that situation, the end goal isn't to get yourself to work out. It's to figure out like what's going on and maybe you don't know. And maybe you need to just sit on it for a little while too. Like to go back to the example of like your heart racing, if you automatically decide this means I'm anxious, you don't give yourself the chance to find out if maybe it's something else. Maybe your heart's racing. Like I said, cause you had a lot of caffeine. And if you just kind of sit with it for a little while, it goes down on its own or you get more information. If you know, I've, I've seen this so much since COVID where people have a lot of like COVID anxiety where they have, wake up with a tickle in their throat and they're like, oh my gosh, I have COVID, you know? And, and raise his hand. Yeah. I, I did it too, especially at the beginning where I was yeah. like, every, like I'd sneeze once and be like, that's it for me. Um, but you sometimes, if you jump to the conclusion right away, if you decide something means something right away, you don't give it the opportunity to really like unfold. And maybe it is COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's strep or maybe it's allergies, or maybe you just haven't drank any water today. So that's why you're uh-huh. just feeling that way. But if you go straight to COVID, then like that, that's it. Now you're panicking. Now you're acting as if it's true. So it's like openness and letting things kind of unfold and then figuring it out. So, all right, yes. now I feel like working out today. Can I just sit with this for a little bit and see if anything comes of it? And it's, I I love that you mentioned curiosity because one of my, and I don't know if you watched Ted Lasso. No. Um, uh, One of my favorite quotes from Ted Lasso is be curious, not judgmental. I Um, love that. And I feel like if we could sum up like my values in a nutshell and like my coaching philosophy, I really, I really believe in that because I think if we can sit with something to go with the, like, I'm not motivated to work out example, we can get curious about like, well, you know, is this true? Do I really not want to work out? Well, like, yes, I do. And also like, gosh, I haven't eaten in a while. Like Mm. I'm kind of low energy because I'm hungry and like, oh, like I could probably stand to drink a glass of water instead of another cup, cup of coffee. And, um, you know, we can just look at everything that's going into that and get curious about why that feeling is, and maybe choose something that feels a little bit more, um, I guess aligned and also more like caring for ourselves because a lot of times I think the, you know, diet culture tells us that exercise is Mm self-care and anti-diet tells us that resting is self-care. Right. And, and really it's both and neither and something else that's not either of those things, all at the same time. 100%. Right? Yes. And I think what you're describing too about like, should I work, I should work out today and then you're stuck in this, but I don't want to. And then what you just described of thinking of noticing what's going on in yourself. Um, maybe I need, I haven't eaten in a while. That's, that's mindfulness. And, and that's what is going to let you find out. It, then it, you're going beyond like this, I need to figure out the answer to this question. Uh-huh. And you're just checking in with like, what else is going on with me right now? And that's giving you information that may have nothing. You may never get to the answer of whether to work out today or not, but now you're addressing what's actually there, which is right. Well, I need to eat. So my body's telling me that I'm going to listen to that signal. That's a signal that I feel more certainty. in, so I'm going to honor that. And then it doesn't matter. I'll just I'll, either I'll decide to work out or I won't, but like, that's not if you get so stuck in, I need the answer to this specific question, you like miss so much else that's actually there. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the stuff that's underlying that I have to imagine if you solve um, or like get curious about what's underlying those thoughts and feelings, um, then maybe you kind of get to the root of it. Yeah, you might or you might not. But it, I think if there is a root, it will show itself. Yeah. When you're not searching if that, I know that's like so annoying when people say that kind of stuff, but yeah, it's like, Damn I, it, I want solutions, Paula. Yeah, we all do. But I think that's exactly, it's like a metaphor that's used a lot with act is quicksand. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen, I've never seen quicksand in real life. I've only really seen it on like cartoons and stuff. Yeah. It's but terrifying. you know what it is. Yeah. It's talk scary. to me about it. It's like, it sucks you. So, so the way quicksand works and my very uh, non-expert understanding of quicksand is it sucks you in 
And the more you struggle against it, the harder it sucks you. So like the more you try to like flail around and like climb out of it, the more it pulls you in. But the way you deal, if you do ever find yourself in quicksand, what you're supposed to do is distribute your weight evenly across it. So like lay down and stay still and, and it won't suck you anymore. So it's tough because like, if you think about drowning and you're being pulled into something, your instinct is to fight, right? You're, it's like this like sense of urgency. I have to fight against this. I have to struggle or else it's going to pull me in. But what you're actually going to find is effective is the opposite, sitting in it, staying still in it, like not fighting against it. And the same is true for our inner, like our thoughts and our feelings. If you fight against a feeling, it makes that feeling more consuming. So the more you struggle against it, the more it pushes back. But if you allow it to be there, it's still there. It's not like it goes away because you allowed it to be there. It's still there, but you're not in the struggle anymore. So it's Mm. like, it's that whole like suffering part. The pain is the feeling. The suffering is you fighting against the feeling. If you can't control the feeling being there, but you can control whether you like make it worse for yourself by trying to get rid of it and trying to avoid it and trying to control it fixating on how much it sucks. So how do we, I guess this is like a deeper philosophical question, maybe, and not like, not where I was intending this conversation to go. Um, but when you're stuck in that feeling, how do you, I guess, reconcile with like sitting in it and also knowing that you very much want things to be different because I see myself doing this a lot. I mean, particularly even today with like the fun Supreme court decision that just came Mm -hmm. out, that makes me want to throw a kettlebell, um, into a window and across my yard. How do you just kind of get yourself from cycling in, in that feeling of like rage without like becoming complacent? That's a good question. I, I think the thing to remember is that accepting something doesn't mean that you like it or that you want it or that you're happy that it's there. It -hmm. just means that you're allowing it to be there because you can't control it. So Mm -hmm. then you have that fighting this thing that you have no control over. You can put towards things you do have control over, like your own actions, like we were talking about. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I, I mean, I'm almost hesitant to use the example of the Supreme Court decision because I'm still processing it. This was literally like two hours ago. Yeah. <laughs> but literally, you like, can use a different example too. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's hard to think of another one because now that's on my mind. Sorry. I, I, no, it's okay. Like, I can't control that that happened. Like, so I can be upset about, I'm going to be upset about it. I am upset about it. And I can acknowledge those feelings. It's not accepting. Isn't like, I'm totally chill about this. It's I'm upset about it. And since I can't overrule that myself, what can I put my energy into that? I do have control over in my life, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's not like doom scrolling, which is what a lot of no, us do. Exactly. And I think that doom scrolling is another energy suck because it's like, it, 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 that's not action. That's just like, that would be like the dwelling in the feeling that you hate so much, right? As opposed yeah. to like, I recognize this feeling. I recognize that I'm feeling this way partially because of my, my values, because it's, I have this value of, you know, justice and equality and all that stuff. So how I can't control if other people value those things, Uh which is really, really fucking hard to tolerate. Yeah. I will say from personal and professional experience, it's really hard to tolerate that not everyone cares about and values the things that I care about and value. And so I can't make them care, but I can double down on my caring, if that makes sense. Like, and I think about that in like, I'm not going to single-handedly change a system, but I, my actions contribute to a system. So can I treat the people around me the way I want to treat people? And like, that can have some type of ripple effect. And like, it's probably not going to like change much, but you know, we're all going to die one day anyway, and humans are going to go extinct. So it's like, what's, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
So true. And, and I think that ties into, um, just a lot about what, what you and I talk about, I think like outside of podcast episodes, which is just how social media, um, I think can really kind of keep us stuck in, in those thoughts, especially, especially when you start the way the algorithm works and you start following a bunch of people that maybe like, you know, um, like fall under under a certain label or something Mm -hmm. like something that you identify with or something that you're thinking about. And then the more you see it, the more the algorithm feeds you stuff like that. And then I have to imagine that's like the opposite of what act. Yeah. Well, it's, it keeps you in your suffering is what it does. And it's, it's one thing to acknowledge your pain. I think we can't, you know, we can't avoid things because they make us uncomfortable. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. that's a really, that's really a big deal. Yeah. But it's another thing to like, just stay in your suffering and just stay in it and do nothing. And, and like, it's like multiple things can be true at the same time. Right. Mm. It's like, I love when you say that. I, I, I feel like I need it like tattooed on me or something because it is like, I mean, here's an example that's very personal. I have, so there's a, there's a date that I will, that I always have associated with. I, um, I lost a client. Uh, he hmm. was, killed and murdered in by in gang violence this oh was god like a long time ago and on that date I always that was like what that represented to me yeah and then my husband proposed on that date without realizing it so now oh. that date is associated with an extremely painful horrible thing and also an extremely joyful thing yeah and it's like to me I feel like that perfectly captures like multiple things can be true at the same time right Mm. it's like you're gonna go see your baby this afternoon and probably feel some moment of joy at his adorable face because he does Hmm. have one and and also this really shitty thing happened today too and they both happen in the same day in the same person's life you know it's like you get to decide what makes sense for me to focus on in this moment and I'm not saying you should ever, you should just always ignore the bad stuff. Like, cause I think sometimes mm-hmm. that gets misinterpreted. People are like, well, that's easy for you to say. Like not everyone has that privilege. It's like, no, everyone does have the ability to choose what element of their experience they focus on. And that's why happiness doesn't correlate to like how much money you have or where you live in the world or anything like that. Yeah. You know what? That's, that's so true. And I think something that something that I've gotten out, out of, and this is maybe like another episode for another day. Um, I haven't really since like, you know, lockdown 2020, um, I haven't practiced yoga as much as I used to for a lot of different reasons that we could unpack at another time. But yeah, I um, am curious about that. (laughs) I feel like, um, I feel like one thing that that always really brought about for me was more of a focus on gratitude. Um, and that's something that I realized I've been missing a Mm. lot of lately. Yeah. Um, And it's such a, it really is like what you water grows or whatever you want to call it. Right. Like the, the more you focus on these things that like the more it's like, yeah, the more you focus on the unpleasant, the more unpleasant your life feels, the more you focus on the pleasant, the more pleasant your life feels. And again, none of this, I, I, I feel this need, this is probably a sign of like the culture. I feel this need to like defend myself for saying that and be like, and that doesn't change the systemics. Like, yes, we get it. There are fucked up systems in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and since they take a long time to change, we all also deserve to enjoy like aspects of our existence in the meantime. And, you know, I think we need to take those moments of, um, dude, talk about strength training parallels here. Um, I talk, I talk a lot to my clients about like the importance of rest and not just like taking a rest day, but like, if you're lifting heavy weights, taking, um, you know, a long rest in between sets so that you can come back and do that heavy lifting. And I think the same is true for all of us. If you're very passionate, Um, Mm -hmm. about making any kind of change, whether that's like a systemic change or Mm -hmm. like a change within yourself. Um, 
you know, there are those moments that you're going to have to sit, sit in the uncomfortable and allow yourself to feel those things so that, mm-hmm. so that you understand like what is there that needs to be healed. Um, and then also offering yourself those moments of like pr- pleasure and reprieve where you can just like not completely burn yourself out in the process. Yeah. Because I, I definitely feel that sense of urgency a lot when like something bad is happening or something, there's a problem going on. I definitely yeah. feel this sense of like, I need to figure this out right now. And any moments that I'm not spending thinking about this problem is a moment wasted. And how can I think about anything else? And that is so counterproductive because yeah. you burn yourself out and also not solutions don't present themselves just like, cause you want them to, you know, like sometimes it has to like unfold. Yeah. And, and marinate. It's almost like, I think yeah. about, you know, when you have like the most profound thoughts in the shower. Yes. Yeah. Um, like in or those like, moments when, when you're in kind of like a flow state or like, mm-hmm. I'm not really a runner anymore, but when I used to run, I used to come up with the most creative ideas on my runs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they say like repetitive, repetitive movements or like, like that kind of like methodical activity yeah. tends to sort of like open up your mind to sort of like you process it unconsciously a lot of the time. Yeah. I like when you sleep on it, you know, that happens mm-hmm. to me all the time. I'll like be agonizing over something and then I'll go to sleep in the next morning. I sort of have a little bit more clarity, not necessarily like I have the answer, but I have something that I didn't have before. Yeah. And it's, it's, you have to kind of trust that that will happen. And it doesn't always happen on like your desired timeline, which Mm-mm. is so frustrating for me. Cause I'm such a control freak. I'm like, I know I want to, I, I want to know the answer to this right now. And, and whenever you do that, it's, it's that fusion, right? It's that yeah. stuckness and like, I'm trying to control something I can't control. If I can just like step back from it, it's going to unfold eventually. It's like, how do you know when you're ready to do this thing? How do I know when I'm ready to like, how do I know if I want to marry this person? How do I, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. and they, the, the most annoying thing is like, you'll just know. And, but like, at the same time, you kind of, you at least have some sense of like where you're at with something. So yeah, it unfold. being patient, which is not, yes. easy. we're like very instant gratification. A hundred percent. Wait, um, I have a question for you Yeah, about, about the, about what I just said about how like people generally have a hard time like allowing a process to unfold like we just want to get to the outcome and we think if we just like work harder or try harder we'll get there Mm -hmm. I feel like with with training and what you do like is that something you see a lot because I feel like even my own relationship with fitness I'm like I just want to be able to like you know lift that that weight and like I, I don't have any patience for the process of getting there and the rest and the high reps and the I mean the high low reps and the high high rest yeah. that is going to be required. I'm like, I just, my instinct is to do the opposite, like do more. And maybe if I just work out every day, then, you know, and it's, that's not how it works. Right. You're right. Exactly. And that's where I think like having a personal trainer in your corner to like help like program from, you know, like a scientifically backed way, if you do have a specific strength goal, um, can be helpful because number one, to your point, it takes time Number two, you really have to sit in it. And by sit in it, sometimes it's literally sitting in that five minute rest that I programmed for you. And sometimes it's like sitting in the drudgery of this process where, you know, like say you want to be able to deadlift X amount of weight, um, or be able to, I'm actually, I'm going to switch gears and I'm going to use pull-ups as an example, because a lot of people will come to me and they're like, I have the goal of getting my first pull-up. And I'm like, okay, like, these are the things that you're going to need to have in place to get this. And I recommend like this exercise, this exercise, this exercise, this exercise. And I'm like, and also this is a long game. Mm -hmm. So expect this to take like, you know, probably at least a year or more if you're not that close to having it already. And also why I can't do a pull-up because I, and also like, that's a lot. (laughs) like you're going to have to be consistent with it. You're going to have to do this, like commit to doing it almost every day. And even when you don't want to, even when you're bored. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of people, I think necessarily don't want to like, like sit in that, like discomfort of like, this is hard. Um, 
or this is boring. You know, and at the end of the day, you get to decide like, Hey, does getting a pull-up even align with my values or not? Exactly. Um, And you get to decide. And that's, and that's the beautiful thing is that you get to decide what's true for you and then make those choices aligned with what you actually value. Um, and so that's really know that you can walk away from it if it does. Like, I think that's another thing in, in like this, in, in diet culture, at least, and Mm -hmm. sort of the, the overarching like culture of, you know, willpower and discipline is that it, it, like you should finish what you started and you said you were going to do it. So do it. And like, if you don't, you're failing, you're failing. And it's really not, you know, not that it, it doesn't, it's not that deep. <laughs> like so, no. sometimes it's just, you know what this, I thought this was important to me, but it turns out that it really isn't that important to me. So right. I'm just going to let it go. And that's fine. Yes. Yes. 100%. Or other priorities come up. Right. Other priorities come up and we, we sometimes forget about that, that there are a lot of different things that you might want to prioritize at any given point at your life. And to kind of wrap that up with a nice little bow, I think a lot of people, especially in the fitness realm, um, and it's interesting. I've actually like recently restructured my personal training packages to reflect like what's actually going to get people where they want to go. Because I think a lot of people think, well, you know, if I just train with you once a week, then, you know, that's gonna, that's going to get me like X, Y, Z results or whatever. Like I'm going to see you once and do one workout. And, and all of a sudden I'm going to be like strong and all my problems are going to be solved. "Eh." Not really how it works. (laughs) No, I'm just going to buy this DIY program. And all of a sudden I'm going to like get in shape and it's like, well, mm -hmm. It's not but really how it works. If you can challenge that mindset and use your, you know, like fitness journey or whatever you want to call it, use this process to build more of that flexibility, that's probably going to serve you in other places in life too. Mm-hmm. You know, like if it, 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 it's sort of how like, you know, people talk about when they start doing intuitive eating, they also get back in touch with their intuition around other things in life. I I think it's like the way you do anything is the way you do everything. I I don't know about that, but I think there's something to that, that it's like this process of becoming more patient with the fact that they're going to have to do more than just once a week with you and are going to have to take rest days, even when they don't, when they feel like they should be doing something else, or Mm -hmm. they're going to have to tolerate the discomfort of doing something that isn't so pleasant, but it's going to build the strength and the places to do the thing they want to do. Like if you can go through that process, that serves you in so many other places too, because you're learning how to tolerate uncertainty and ambiguity and all yeah. these other things. Damn. This is all, yeah. it's also so related and it's so great. I could talk to you about this all day, but is there anything else that you want to say about like act or like what you do or any like life lessons or like last words you want to leave us with? Um, Yeah. I think for myself, the reason I love act so much is that it is sort of like the the first theory and philosophy that really spoke to me personally as someone who has always been more prone to anxiety and overthinking and Mm -hmm. people pleasing and needing everything to be the way that I think it's supposed to be, or that I I think other people want me to be and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff. It helped me really recognize that I, that, that I I was really like keeping myself stuck in ways that, yeah, society and all these external factors are still going to be there and they're going to throw, throw barriers at you. But like that, instead of trying to like think positive and do all these, you know, like change my mindset that I could actually just let those things be there and like, recognize that a thought is just a thought. It's just words in my brain. It's not anything that I, I can either listen to it or not. I, I don't, you know, that like yeah. those, those, the drive to, I have to please, I have to say yes to this person. Like that is a temporary internal thing that just because it's there, I don't have to give it much. I don't yes. have to take it seriously. Yes. So I think if you're someone who is like me in that way, mm-hmm. to really like see if you can develop this like curiosity around that. Yes. Okay. This thought is telling me to do this thing. It's just words in my brain. I could, I could give it credence or not. And that could be like a good starting place. Yes. 
I love that. Thank yeah. you. Where, where can the people find you? Um, <laughs> what are you up to these days? Tell us, tell us all the things. Sure. So I am on Instagram and uh, TikTok at mindful Dr. Paula. So mindful D-R-P-A-U-L-A. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I own a practice called humankind psychological services, and we are a small group of, of therapists and soon to be psychologists, um, in Chicago, but we work virtually. So you can go to my website, humankindpsych.com. Um, it's funny. You caught me on a day where I'm having a very, just like fed up with social media yeah. <laughs> relationships. So I'm sitting here like, oh yeah, I'm on social media, but I am. So yeah, definitely. That's probably where you would get the most of my stuff. Yes. And I love, you know, as much as social media can be, um, a mind fuck sometimes I, I love your content and you always, my favorite is like when you post those, I call them reels, um, because I'm only on Instagram. I'm not a yeah. TikToker. Um, but I suppose you probably post these on TikTok too, where you take like a, like something that people commonly say and you have all these like great comebacks for it. Um, oh yeah. I'm the boundaries queen. That's like, yes. that's like my fun creative outlet. It's like, if someone says this to you and you need to set a boundary, here are a bunch of different ways you can do that. Yeah. Yes, that's a lot I love it. I basically have arguments with myself. I, <laughs> I love it so much. It's so oh, great. Um, well, thanks for everything, Paula. This was awesome and super helpful and hopefully we'll be able to have you back soon. I could really talk to you all day. I agree. I was like, it just time flies whenever we're talking about any of this stuff. So yeah, I'm happy to come back. And thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being here. We'll talk soon. I always have such a good time talking to Paula. I could talk to her for days and days about all sorts of different things, but I hope you found that conversation as valuable and as helpful as I did. And if you want to learn more about Dr. Paula, how you can potentially work with her, follow her on social media, all of that, I will leave the links to everything in the show notes. In addition, if you liked this episode and you want it to reach even more people, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave me a five-star rating and review. It's super easy. You can do it in under a minute. And this is not only going to help me, but it's also going to help you in your journey doing this whole fitness without diet culture thing. If you can remember back a couple of weeks ago, uh, episode 27 I did with Jen Radke. The episode was called Beyond Health at Every Size, Must Read Books to Deepen Your Body Acceptance Journey. And on that episode, we talk about books. Jen gives all sorts of different book recommendations. And when I do my drawing, when I do my giveaway, I'm going to give you one of those books of your choice. I will send it to your house for you. So if you need a little motivation, a little kick in the pants to go leave me a rating and review, please go do that right now. Um, Have a wonderful rest of your day. Have a great week and we'll talk soon. Thanks again for tuning into Tough Cookie Talks. I'm so glad you're here. If you want to learn more about me and how we can work together, visit my website, itsjennaj.com or follow and tag me on Instagram at itsjennaj. I would love to hear from you. If you liked this episode and want to hear more, make sure that you click subscribe and follow along so that you don't miss a single show. Then take a moment and leave me a five-star rating and review so we can help this podcast and this message reach even more people. Have a great week and we'll talk soon.